Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm Richard Bliss, the host. You're listening to episode 168. I have an interesting episode for us tonight, today, whatever time it is where you're watching, listening. I guess you're not watching me. I certainly appreciate you taking the time. You know, I, I've been getting a lot of fan mail lately, so we must be doing something right because a lot of you are reaching out, telling me how much you appreciate the show, and uh, I certainly appreciate the time that you have shared with me. Some good news. Uh, my website, richardabliss.com is up. The episodes are starting to appear there so that uh, this gives me a place to, to put them. One of the things I'm looking for, if you're interested in being part of the show, not being a guest, um, but actually to be part of the value that we bring from Kickstarter and blog to talk about some of the topics that I talk about on the podcast, but actually to blog some of those. And you'd like to have your name associated with that and get a little bit of exposure. I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me. Uh, my email address is rbliss at blisscorp.com. That's a great way to get hold of me. Or you can find me on Facebook at Richard Bliss, Twitter at Richard Bliss, or um, and LinkedIn. All those places, come find me. And if you'd like to blog and uh, and you have some ideas about Kickstarter and you'd like to share those, I'm looking for people who would be willing to uh, to contribute to that. Love to hear from you because you've all got great ideas and opportunities and experiences and you in, you're inspiring me. And so I just wanted to say thank you. Okay, my guest. We're going to have a really interesting episode. On Kickstarter, there's a couple of things that do really, really well when it comes into the comics, games, art space. Number one, zombies. If you put zombies in your Kickstarter campaign, you know, zombies, the dance, zombie watch, it's going to do well on Kickstarter. The other one, though, is Cthulhu. If you are involved with anything with Cthulhu, there's a good chance you're going to do very well with your Kickstarter campaign. And I have to admit, I don't know anything about Cthulhu. I can't even pronounce it. And so what I did is I reached out to a Cthulhu expert um, I know and have invited him on the show to talk to us, you and me. Maybe you know a lot more than I do. But to have him come and talk to us about what is this thing and what is this attraction that it creates and why this huge, almost rabid following um, I, I completely do not understand it. And so that's why I reached out. My guest today is, is Dave Sokolowski. His website is weird eight. That's eight with an eight weird com. Dave, thanks for being on the show. Sure. Thanks for having me, Richard. Dave, you've been involved with, uh, uh, Cthulhu, um, for decades and, uh, you have a pretty good grasp on it. I was hoping, and when you and I talked and you, and I don't know how Cthulhu came up cause I, I didn't bring it up. Um, I was like, you know what? Really? <laughs> really? I have to have you on the show to talk about it. So let's talk about Cthulhu. Um, for my listeners, most of my listeners, I'm going to assume that most of my listeners are like me and that they've heard of this Cthulhu thing, but they're not quite sure what it is. Give us a, a brief background on Cthulhu and where it came from. And we'll start from that. Sure. Cthulhu 101. At a high level, H.P. Lovecraft was a writer of weird tales back in the 1920s and 1930s. He spoke of both personal horror, realization that you something horrible has happened to your family or something in the town is, is absolutely horrible happening, um, evil cults, mad scientists. 
And then cosmic horror. He created a, a mythos, a, a lineage, if you will, of these creatures that have been around for billions of years. And Cthulhu is one of them. Cthulhu actually sleeps at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean in his city of Rayla. That's how you say it. And when the stars are right, he will awaken and his, he'll send his telegraphic and telepathic beams of horror and nightmares across the world and affect the affect people and and do horrible things to everyone. So Lovecraft created uh, a series of stories, um, mostly set in the New England. He he created sort of Lovecraft country. He created a, a series of little towns. And he's pretty much heralded as the godfather of horror. His tales aren't truly horrific as we think about horror. But before the internet, before mass, truly mass publication, before Amazon, if you look at our, the the horror writers that are influential to us today, people like Stephen King or Guillermo del Toro, people who are Clive Barker, Neil Gaiman, these people who are you know imaginary and these writers and, and filmmakers, uh, John Carpenter, all these people who have you know grew up through the 50s, 60s, and 70s, they all were, uh, Lovecraft was their touchstone. You could go and you could read H.P. Lovecraft and know that there was something really, really weird going on out there and really sparked the imagination. So how long long ago was H.P. Lovecraft? So 1920s and 1930s. um, He died in the 1930s, uh, a relatively young age. But what he did that was interesting was he... He kept – he sort of had an open open gaming license. He had open license for his stuff. Anyone could share. All these authors traded letters. And so his stuff was picked up in the 50s by one of his pupils, disciples, August Derleth, who kind of carried it forward through the 50s and um, just kind of – you know, it, it, it just was sort of one of those esoteric sort of cult things that people got interested if you were kind of weird and bookish. Okay, so there, there's a background, and it's interesting that you're saying New England, and then Stephen King. I mean, is that not mm-hmm. that's not a coincidence, is it? No, that, not at all. And so, um, and it, he sounds like having really, I've seen his name, H.P. Lovecraft, but um, uh, it sounds like the Jules Verne of science fiction. H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft is the equivalent uh, of horror. Absolutely. Okay, and so now, okay. All right, great history lesson. But and the big but is is that what what's going on with people today that are so what well, you or and you're a normal guy pretty much most of the time that I've known you. But, I, but what is I, I it? A, what's that? No, I, I I have a pretty good facade. But go ahead. But what is this thing? Um, it, so is the mythos continuing? Are new books coming out, or or how is Cthulhu? And, and, it's, and it's called Cthulhu, right? Is there a different name for it? Because I didn't realize Cthulhu was the name of a guy, or a yeah, guy's so not the. Cthulhu is 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 the guy, and there was a there was a, a lo- you know to call them short stories. Some of these stories are you know eighty pages long, but he, his one of his most prominent stories was called "The Call of Cthulhu," and it's this international investigation that into the cult of Cthulhu, but it turns out that, you know, there is this being at the bottom of the Pacific ocean. He's, he's just the most prominent. If you get into the mythology at all, it's so the genre is called the Cthulhu mythos or the Lovecraft mythos. And 
he's he's the prominent one. I, I'm not sure what his deal is. Why he's so prominent? Maybe just because he's this massive, you know, hundred story green creature with tentacles, and that's sort of easy to visualize. While Azathoth, who is you know this star and of light at the center of the universe, is a little bit harder to wrap your head around. But Cthulhu is kind of the main guy, and then it's also called the Cthulhu Mythos. Okay, and so. The- Exist, I mean, is the body of this mythos continuing to be added to today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's. I mean, like I said, he was he was the original open license guy. Like anyone could write anything. So you still have people who are writing fiction all the time. Um, you still have people who are contributing to the mythos. It's that's the thing is, is you can kind of make anything up. You can contribute. No one owns the mythos. And, and also what, what happened a few years ago is that, you know, 75 years after Lovecraft died, his copyrights became available. So it, it just sort of affected – it opened up a little bit of the overall licensing and copyrights that people had. Um, there are role-playing games. There are tabletop role-playing games. There are computer role-playing games. There's so much fiction if you want to get out there being produced all the time. You know, there are board games. Fantasy Flight's been doing very well with their line of Arkham Horror. Yeah. Um, so I'm on Kickstarter right now, okay. and I typed in Cthulhu. That's all I typed yep. in. Yep. And you know, there's uh, you know a, a few here or there, and and it's all. It's the type of stuff that I don't want my children, look, my young daughters looking at, right? It's, sure, yeah. it's It's disturbing looking, but here's Cosmic Star Heroine for PC. You have no – it's a Creators of Cthulhu, $100,000. Here's Bicycle Playing Cards Artwork, $37,000. Yep. Rises, $300. Um, steampunk, but then here's one. Uh, Call of Cthulhu, 7th edition, half a million dollars. What is that? So it's an RPG. So is it just – it's a Dungeons and Dragons equivalent just for the Cthulhu mythos? So Call of Cthulhu is – Call of Cthulhu, which is named after the short story, was a role-playing game designed in the early 80s by Sandy Peterson, who actually – we should also talk about his Cthulhu Wars, which funded for $1.4 million recently. Well, where's that one? I didn't, I didn't see uh, that one. All right. It should be just, just down – um, I'll look while you're talking. Okay. Yeah. But those two, there, I see two of them right next to each other. There's Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition, which funded at $561,000, and Horror on the Orient Express, Orient Express, which is Call of Cthulhu, by, again by Chaosium for $207,000. Yeah. And here I hit, see it, Cthulhu Wars by Sandy Peterson, $1.4 So he wrote the first edition, and you know, and one of my nerd moments, so I just have to name check him. He he used to work. He was one of the you know developers and, and key guys at Chaosium, which is based out of the East Bay. I've been going to Dundercon in the East Bay uh, since I was in seventh grade. And just he, to let people, this is the East Bay of San Francisco, East Bay. Just so yes. And he used to man the booth, and I had him when I was in like ninth grade pitching me hard. Hard on Call of Cthulhu. Oh, come on! It's this great cosmic horror thing. If you get shot, you die. I was more into superheroes, but you know, to have Sandy Peterson manning the Chaosium booth at Dundercon is just one of my favorite memories. So, Call of Cthulhu did a couple things different when it came out in the early '80s. One is it it brought you into the Lovecraft mythos. Um, 
it, it like it just it, it brought you into that. It's it's nominally set in the 1920s. That's where the classic Cthulhu uh, genre is. It's the 1920s, so it's usually the Roaring Twenties. Although other people play with that and put it into the 30s, so it's the Depression, which is a little bit um, sort of darker. And the idea was is that you played someone normal and you get caught up in your own Lovecraft-inspired investigation. So there's something creepy happening, and you get caught up in the mystery. So not only did you play normal people, which was totally against the role-playing tropes of the early 80s, where D&D you know, and Top Secret and those sort of things were coming out, but it puts you in – it's an actually an investigation. So you're pe- peeling back the layers of this and and – your friend disappears and then you go and investigate and well, they had been hanging out at this new church. Well, you go investigate the new church and some other people from the church have been disappearing. And so then you go down and you find out that they have a mansion that's hidden out in the hills. And so you're going to drive out into the dark hills and investigate. So it, it kind of created its own subgenre, and it's, it's highly regarded. It's they're on their seventh edition. Um, they've been around for a long time. It's, it's sort of, they have their own thing going on with Call of Cthulhu. One of the things about it, the, the key mechanics they introduced that's never really been replicated in, in a different way is the idea of sanity and the idea that in a process of a role-playing game, you'd have your sanity slowly chipped away as you experience horrific things, whether it just be seeing a dead body or a weird creature, or finally you come to realize that, hey, this isn't the universe that we know at all. There's actually these beings that are kind of playing us like puppets, and that would sort of break your mind, and you would always go insane. And, and that kind of brings – there's always a lethal, lethality. Is that the right word? Yeah. Um, and you know, going insane or dying is – they're not always. That's not always what happens, but that's what is associated with the call of Cthulhu. That, okay, and the and the help me here understand the attraction of playing a game where the end is we all go insane or we die. Yeah, well, part of that is is that that's what happened to Lovecraft's heroes, right? Um, and so living through, you know, the the Innsmouth, um, the story of Innsmouth. Smith Horror, you know, the when the the protagonist goes and he goes to Innsmouth and he finds out Innsmouth is this horrible, you know, city of the fish, the people uh, the people in the town have mated with these fish people from the ocean and they worship this awful being, Dagon, and you know, they chase the guy and he finally escapes and then he comes home and he starts to look like them and he realizes, oh, he's actually related to them, and that's where the story ends. You know, it's that Stephen King you know, if you read the old Stephen King from the 70s and 80s, everything always ended up on a, just a super down note, right? It just – it ends cinematically with the hero, you know, pushing – putting the gun to his head sort of thing. And I think the appeal is there's, there's some nihilism in there. And I think that there's in, – and again, if you're accepting this cosmic nihilism to say we are just dots in the universe, and that's what Lovecraft's – a lot of Lovecraft's stories and visions were about is, you know, we're absolutely insignificant as humans. There are these monstrous beings and entities that span space and time. If you're, if you accept that, then, then it allows you to safely navigate some of those thoughts. I think there's part of that. And the other thing is, is that it's, it's the flip side of the power gaming where if you're playing Pathfinder, if you're playing D&D, if you're playing a superhero game, you want to get more experience and more power and more treasure. The flip side of that is, is when I run my 
Call of Cthulhu games or like Cthulhu Dark games or Trail of Cthulhu games, it, if if no one has died at the end or no one has gone insane, I've not really done my job because people, I think, come to the table wanting to see like how horrible is this going to get? How weird is this going to get? Are we going to – is everybody going to die all at once or are you going to just kind of slowly chop away at us bit by bit? And I think there's just an appeal to just role-playing that because, you know – the world is actually pretty crazy these days, and if you can go and navigate that space safely, I, I think it helps just you know calm the fears. Okay, let's. Uh, fascinating. I am. I'm sitting here normally, if, and I know you've listened to many of my episodes. Mm-hmm. Normally, I have a lot to say, questions to ask, but I have to admit that I'm just my mouth's hanging open. I'm just wow okay wow so let's in our last few minutes talk to me about the art of cthulhu Mm. it's not just the it's not just this mythos but the sheer art of cthulhu seems there seems to be something about that as well um because if if you hey playing cards right cthulhu (laughs) playing cards do very well they've got weird creatures on them and what is it about the art of cthulhu is there a canon of art that says this is the way it looks. Here's the official picture of Cthulhu. Yeah, you, you have – I mean you can – you always run off of what Lovecraft described or what his sort of disciples have described. So there's no official canon, canon per se, but there are images that you can play with. I think what, what you're hinting at – and I'm just knowing how quickly these 20 minutes go by, I think what we, what the question that you're asking when you say why is Cthulhu so important, or not so important, but so popular on Kickstarter, is I think that the day has finally come where, I mean, really, like, the nerds have arrived. When I was first read Call, the, the book Call of Cthulhu, the story Call of Cthulhu in the 80s, like, it was handed to me from a high school friend. When I played the games in the 90s, you know, you just you had the local game store, and hopefully you had a club in town. But now, with the internet, you can you can be as nerdy as you want. You can get as esoteric and as focused in your genre as you want. And there are lots of other people out there, and so it's super safe to go and like Cthulhu and be into it, and not just be the kid wearing all black at high school anymore. You can go out on the internet and there are communities of people who, you know, think, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm totally down with. Uh, I see, I see what you're saying. And, and we right? do and in this last minute. Yes. So what you're saying is, is that this, to use another analogy, when Peter Jack Lord of the Rings to the film, all of us Lord of the Rings fans that had imagined in our heads and had kind of been isolated for all these years, suddenly got to, to feel, Oh, Look, we now get to see and experience what we've been kind of participating in uh, in isolation. The Cthulhu thing with the inter- now people are starting to come out forward and say, "I like this. I get to participate in the creation of more of this, and I don't have to keep it hidden or in the closet anymore." Yeah, I, I, it's it's just readily available. I mean, just that that horror on the Orient Express, you know, two hundred thousand dollars. They didn't make $200,000 on the first printing of the thing, you know, 15 years ago or whatever it was, 91, so it's 20 years ago. But now every, all the people who had the first edition or always wanted the first edition, I have a first edition just so everyone knows. <laughs> all right. uh, that's why you're on the show. You're that's why I'm on the show. But 
everyone who wanted one now has that money, now has that capability. Now there's a place, a single source you can go to get your nerd on. And Kickstarter allows you to be involved in those projects. When before, it was always like via Dragon Magazine or a Chaosium catalog or a convention. And that was really it. Perfect. Dave, I certainly appreciate you taking some time out of your uh, evening to sit down and have a discussion with us and my listeners about this whole Cthulhu mythos. It's, it's been very enlightening. Thank you very much for your time. Absolutely, Richard. Anytime. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Dave Sokolowski. Dave, I'm going to get that right sometime. And we've been talking about the Cthulhu mythos and the reason it does so well on Kickstarter. And Dave's done a great job of explaining a lot of the background and the current present-day attraction. I don't think it's inspiring. It certainly has been fascinating. Um, And I want to say thanks to Dave. Uh, We look forward to hearing from you. Reach out. Let me know uh, if you'd like to participate in Funding the Dream uh, as a uh, guest blogger. And uh, we will get together. Thanks for listening. Take care.